Traditionally, you're going to see a lot of guys in the trades. And, and I'm sure in some communities, in some of our local communities, we still have that. My fire company, we've got uh, chemical engineer, uh, lawyer, me as a teacher, number of people in finance, accounting, IT. That's hilarious. Absolutely. If you really think about that, mm -hmm. I mean, that is just people from all walks of life. And the point is, you know, focusing on an army of normal folks, mm -hmm. that's some of everybody. Absolutely. And where else are you going to get an attorney and a guy operating a forklift on second shift on a line together? Welcome to an army of normal folks. I'm Bill Courtney. I'm a normal guy. I'm a husband. I'm a father. I'm an entrepreneur. And I've been a football coach in inner city Memphis. And the last part, it unintentionally led to an Oscar for the film about our team. It's called Undefeated. Guys, I believe our country's problems will never be solved by a bunch of fancy people in nice suits talking big words that nobody understands on CNN and Fox, but rather an army of normal folks, us, just you and me deciding, hey, I can help. That's what Ellen Yarborough, the voice we just heard, has done. Ellen became a volunteer firefighter at a later than normal age. And of course, being a female fighter isn't as normal either for now. Ellen is helping to change the face of firefighting. And I cannot wait for you to meet her right after these brief messages from our generous sponsors. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash iHeart. That's LifeLock.com slash iHeart to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. Become a part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry with an education from Trinity School of Natural Health. Trinity graduates can empower their communities through natural health principles and techniques, whether they go into practice to guide others toward their wellness goals or open a store to sell their favorite health products. Trinity grads are equipped to change lives. With 19 online programs and flexibility to fit your busy schedule, including the popular Certified Natural Health Professional, you can get the training that helps you turn your passion into a career and here's the best part. You can earn the certification in less than a year. From herbology to naturopathy and health coaching, 
Trinity allows you to make a meaningful difference by helping others live healthier, happier lives. Don't wait any longer to pursue your passion for natural health. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slammed up. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Ellen never thought she'd move back to her hometown of Delaware County, PA, especially after having lived in Warsaw, Poland as a child and moving to the French countryside as an adult to help start a school. But... Being divorced and raising two kids in another country, that ain't real easy. I decided to come back and I said that I I really needed to be near family um, because it's hard to be a single mom. Um, so I got a job at my old high school, bought my parents' house, my, my childhood home. And uh, yeah, so now I've been back. We've been back since uh, 2011, 2012. I, you know, it's weird. For the first couple years, I thought, why did I come back here? Like, I could have gone anywhere in the States because one way or the other, I'm paying for the kids to go see their dad. And you can teach. Um, they're yeah, good schools anywhere. looking for good Absolutely. teachers anywhere. Right. And I'd lived in Colorado and California and Idaho. Like, I, you know, I could have gone anywhere and I chose Delco. So. <laughs> but there you are. Right. So for the first couple of years, I was a little frustrated with myself. Um, and it was hard. It was like my wings were clipped. I really like travel. Um, well, I guess living that life and then back where you were. Yeah. Yeah. And and to go from a really simple life with my kids to the busy life of a metropolitan area, um, the United States is, it's big for my kids. My kids still are not TV kids. They can't stand commercials. Um, they're not big on, uh, on social media and things like that because it was just. God bless you antithetical and your kids to their, as far as I'm yeah, concerned. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. They that were, is. They're great travelers. All right. So you're back. And yeah. you're, I, I think you're t- teaching social studies and psychology, mm-hmm. is that right? Yeah, I'm the gifted coordinator at my high school, So, and I'm a social studies teacher. So, um, and I was given this position um, the year after I got back because our then principal at the time, but she said, you know, these parents, you grew up here, you can kind of speak their language. So she thought I could manage uh, these parents okay, and so far so good, you know, fingers crossed. Knock on your wood here, right? <laughs> I imagine there's not many. I, you know, this is not a question germane to the story, but I'm going to ask anyway. Is um, I have coached and taught in very, very urban areas. Obviously, mm-hmm. everybody knows that story, but also in private schools mm-hmm. in very suburban 
as you would say, well-heeled, mm-hmm. wealthy heirs. Um, and the biggest difference to me is not the kids. Never. It's the parents. Absolutely. Um, and I can hear the helicopter blades mm-hmm. cutting through the air in the back of my head the closer I get to suburbia. Mm-hmm. Um, does that exist in France? Oh, boy. So my kids went to village schools. I don't know what that means. Uh, local schools. They went to French schools. I, I mean, they, they got – it was like they just landed on a brand new planet. I taught them a few words to get going because I was learning French myself. And they started school. And in three weeks, my daughter's coming home from her kindergarten class telling me the school gossip. I'm like, how do you know? How do you – you don't even speak French. But she was just learning it so rapidly and was such a great That's accent. cool. So they, they went to our local schools. And then my school with the with the largely Americans, we had some Central American students too. Um, I, honestly, our parents were great. They were some big names, um, CEOs of big corporations and airlines and things like that. Um, but they liked it too. They would fly out and, I mean, celebrity chefs, kids, all of that kind of stuff. They would fly out and join us for Thanksgiving and they just settled into the village life too. They were better dressed than everybody else in the village, but I, you know, they rented nicer cars. So it was nice to get away from the rat race. I think so too, and and nobody really cared. They were just so and so's father, mother. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Hmm. Um, So we didn't have that so much. I think the parents had a lot of trust in us, a lot of faith, um, which was important when your kids are three thousand to six thousand miles away for the Californians. Um, but we were, I mean, it was 24 seven back in call. So somebody called at 2 AM because their son was taking a 6 AM flight and he can't find a suitcase. I'm answering the phone. <laughs> you know, so the phone is always on when they're paying that kind of money. Yeah. They're used to quick service. Yeah. Um, but no question about grades or their honesty or anything like that. We, we were in charge and they appreciated that. That was nice. So you get back into teaching and mm-hmm. the American life and, um, once back in the States, there was a, a tragedy. Right. So I coached my kids' uh, local swim club, swim team. And uh, my assistant coach was a 19-year-old, 20-year-old, I guess at the time, a college student at Albright, Chris. And uh, he was like a little brother. Uh, I mean, he was a terrific guy. Um, and uh, he still is. <laughs> and uh, my kids really liked him a lot. All the kids liked him. Um, so he was away at school at Albright in Reading, Pennsylvania, a small school, and he swam for their team there. He was a senior and, uh, and there was a house fire at his off-campus house, um, just a swimmer's house. Um. Like a dorm? Well, it was just a rental, a rental property. Oh, with friends, just kids living in a rental house Absolutely, a bunch of guys. Got it. Absolutely. Uh, fraternity house without the fraternity aspect of it, it. but the true fraternity of it, the lowercase, not uppercase. Um, so they had a fire and actually I, I never found out what the cause of the fire was, but it originated in the basement. Um, there was one boy, a freshman who swimmer who was in the basement at the time, uh, and his life was lost. Chris was in a first floor bedroom and he couldn't get out. And he succumbed to the the smoke, um, but there were two firefighters who you know made their way in and and got to him very quickly and, and brought him out, and then put on him a helicopter and sent him to uh, a local hospital burn center. And it was touch and go. And uh, so his room, it was a his own room, I suppose. It had one window, and there was an air conditioning unit, unit in, it. in it 
and screwed into the the frame of the window. So it couldn't get um, out. He was trying to pry it out. Couldn't get it out. And then the smoke overcomes you. The, the smoke undercut overtakes you. Absolutely. I see. And then in that smoke is all of all of the things, the, the byproducts of the things we choose to so live with. So it's toxic and it's Absolutely. thick and it mm-hmm. burns you, Absolutely. your lungs. Precisely. And then you pass out. You really don't. You lose consciousness. Most people don't burn alive. Correct. Consciously, they pass out first, then burn. Right. Okay. So this guy survived that because these two first responders heard his calls and basically saved his life. They absolutely saved his life. Yeah. And I believe they heard him at first and then didn't hear him, but they could locate where he was. Other boys in the house had jumped out off the porch roof, the overhang of the front porch from the second floor, and they were okay. I think there was one other boy that had some smoke inhalation, um, but his was significant injuries. So, uh, but he survived. A few weeks later, my son, I was always looking for things for my son to do, um, especially with his dad, you know, 400 miles away. Cameron. And Cameron. And so he's uh, he's 13 at the time. Um, so this is September. And he says, uh, I want to become a firefighter. So <laughs> I took a left at the next intersection and it brought me, I was within two blocks of our local firehouse. <laughs> and the chief was a guy that I'd gone to high school with. Did you know that? I did know that. Okay. Absolutely. Um, and this is less than a mile from my house. So we met with him and he said, basically, come back when you turn 14, which was two months away. So as soon as he was 14, he submits his application and then he's voted in as as the cadet. Um, a 14-year-old? What is a 14-year-old doing in a fire firehouse? I mean, what could a 14-year-old do? Um, well... <laughs> It depends on the state you're in. It depends on your locality. 14-year-olds have to be within arm's reach of a senior member of the firehouse. A so, 14-year-old can actually join a fire department? It depends on your department, absolutely. No kidding. Mm-hmm. So your kid turns 14. Well, he's 13. So he gets the thing from your friend who happens to be the chief. And 14th birthday, he's like, let's go to the firehouse. I'm in. Yep. Gets a, and he a becomes green helmet, a cadet. A cadet. So you're not allowed – so let's say there's a house fire. The cadet is not allowed on that property, but they can be in a support role. So off of that that kind of warm zone, you know, the hot zone is the fire. The warm zone is where everything's kind of getting prepared. Cold zone, that's where another truck might be. That's where the cadet is with the driver. He might be pulling tools out to set up for the guys uh, or women. Um and grabbing water for folks to drink, things like that. He could work the hydrant, um, hook up and, and- At 14. Oh, absolutely. That is crazy. Yep. We've got 14-year-olds there now. So he becomes a cadet. He becomes a cadet. And what are you doing? Well, I was dropping him off and picking him up. Were you scared? <laughs> no. You know, I joked about it when somebody asked me if I was joining, and I said that there were there were three things I never wanted associated with my name. Beyond recognition, dental records, or gosh, I can't remember the third one. Um, but at any rate, it was a, along it. those lines, right? Yeah. Burned so, or mauled. Right, yeah. right, right, right. Yeah. Recognizable parts, yeah. whatever it is. Um, so, But it was also his thing. My kids and I have been glued to one another's hips for so long. You live overseas, all the traveling we did, just the three of us. Um, we spent so much time together. I really wanted things just for him, just for her. 
Um, so they, they would invite me to dinner, go, go to the firehouse, have pizza, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and I kept pushing them off, pushing them off. And then um, the chief said, uh, well, how about we need somebody to take pictures on scenes? Would you do that? Sure. So when it came in, if I could drop him off at the firehouse, or even if he wasn't around, I could take my car, park it out of the way, and then take some photos for them, things like that. So one night, I dropped him off at the firehouse, hung around for a little bit. They went off on a call. And so I was waiting back there for them at the firehouse, figuring they'd circle the block and come right back again uh, with nothing to do. And uh, <laughs> But one of the guys comes running in, who's our current, our training officer, a former chief, and he goes, you want to come? I'm like, sure. And I go to hop in the truck. He goes, got to join first. So I put in my application because I realized whatever they're doing, it's certainly cooler than what I'm doing right now, standing in the firehouse. Okay. How old are you at that time? Uh, at that time, uh, how old am I now? So 44. 45. So you're 44. Mm -hmm. You've been all over the world. Your dad's a whatever it is you said, which is pretty crazy. <laughs> you go to Penn, mm -hmm. you're way educated, teaching stuff, and, and, and now you're putting in an application to be a volunteer firefighter in Media, Pennsylvania. Well, that doesn't fit the profile. It does, but it doesn't track because I've always liked adventure. Um, I've taken my kids to the Sahara Desert. We've gone up to... Grimsey in the Arctic Circle. Uh, you know, we've done all kinds of cool things. Um, I used Grimsey? to be Grimsey. What the hell is Grimsey in the Arctic Circle? It's What's a little that? island off the coast of Iceland. Of course it is. And you Why can go, and and then you can you take a ferry, and um, what do you do? Sit up there and freeze? You basically hike up to this spot where you can stand, where it has one of those directional signs pointing in every direction around the earth, noting that you're at the Arctic Circle. No kidding. Yeah, it's kind of You cool. did that with your kids? A couple times, yep. Yeah. Of course. Done it once. Why? You can't do it twice. You hadn't done it once. All right. So so, so you you got an adventure streak to you, and you think, this sounds fun. Yeah. I'd, gr I'd grown up. I, I think this is kind of important. So I'm the youngest of five. I'm the only girl. And my father never said, you can't do that. So I never got the sense that I didn't belong. Um, I was never the odd man out. I played on, on boys' sports, on girls' sports teams, but nobody ever made me feel like an outsider. So I think there was just a comfort level in it. And the company that I joined at the time, uh, we just hit our 100-year anniversary. Uh, they had their first female member in 1975, first female firefighter. Which is probably early for that. Absolutely. Uh, and and then their second um, is kind of my hero. She came in in 1978. She actually won Firefighter of the Year Award one year. You're kidding. Um, oh, yeah. She's a go-getter. And then she became – she's super cool. And she's black, too, which now in a, in a house – well, our house is pretty diverse. Um, but that's even more uncommon to have a, a single black woman walk into a firehouse – a volunteer firehouse, not already married or – with somebody that brings her in and says, I want to do this. I think that's really extraordinary. So she, What was her day job? Super cool. Uh, she is a, I don't know if she's still a lieutenant. She's with the park police, the county park police. No she's kidding. tough as nails. She's cool. A county park cop and a volunteer fire department person. She's neat. Yeah. I would not jack with that one. No, no. She's super cool. Yeah. All right. So um, you go on that first ride and you're hooked. 
Well, he didn't let me go on that first ride. He said, you have to join first. So I had to do the paperwork. And, and because everybody's a volunteer, it takes a while for the paperwork to come through. So I consider myself to have joined on this date. But according to my personnel file, it's like three months later because they didn't do the paperwork. And that's one of the problems with volunteer firehouses is you have a very small crew of people doing an awful lot of work not just running the calls and cleaning the equipment, maintaining the equipment and the trucks and all of that, but doing all the purchasing, taking care of the building, you know, all the business of running a fire company falls on those same volunteers. And now a few messages from our generous sponsors, but first I hope you'll consider becoming a premium member of the army at normalfolks.us. By becoming one for 10 bucks a month or a thousand dollars a year, You can get access to cool benefits like bonus episodes, a yearly group call, and even a one-on-one call with me. Frankly, guys, premium memberships also help us to grow this army that our country desperately needs right now. So I hope you'll think about it. We'll be right back. Become a part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry with an education from Trinity School of Natural Health. Trinity graduates can empower their communities through natural health principles and techniques, whether they go into practice to guide others toward their wellness goals or open a store to sell their favorite health products. Trinity grads are equipped to change lives. With 19 online programs and flexibility to fit your busy schedule, including the popular Certified Natural Health Professional, you can get the training that helps you turn your passion into a career And here's the best part. You can earn the certification in less than a year. From herbology to naturopathy and health coaching, Trinity allows you to make a meaningful difference by helping others live healthier, happier lives. Don't wait any longer to pursue your passion for natural health. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. More Than a Movie is back with season two of the award-winning film podcast, and this time with a lot more movies. I'm your host, Alex Fumero, and each week I'm going to talk to the people behind some of my favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo and the coldness of Michael. To the OG spy kid, Alexa Penavega. You had Carlo Gugino, who's the coolest mom ever. You had Antonio, who's handsome, amazing, charismatic. And then Carmen and Juni. I felt like a lot of other kids felt like this could be me. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. 
when I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Every episode will feature interviews with the biggest actors, directors, writers, and producers behind your favorite films and tap into the history of Latinos in film. Listen to More Than a Movie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Got a few stats here that I think are interesting that I'm sure you know, but I think it's important to share because, honestly, I'm a Memphis guy. There's no volunteer fire department in Memphis, right? Philly. You know, major metropolitan areas. I think we take firefighters, fire departments, equipment, um, hydrants everywhere, readily available water. Mm -hmm. Um, I think we, in urban areas, take it pretty for granted. But I was really interested to find this out. Of total estimated 1,041,200 firefighters in the country, six. 177,000 are volunteer. So two thirds of the people in our country that are firefighters are doing don't make a dime doing it. No. They're, they're donating their time and risking themselves. Um, of the total of 29,452 fire departments in the country, 18,000 are volunteer. Um, and 5,335 are mostly volunteers, so there's evidently some that haven't, some fire departments in maybe larger areas that have one or two full-time firefighters, but the rest of the crews are volunteers, so they're mixed houses, I guess. The time donated by volunteer firefighters saves localities an estimated $47 billion a year. So these 677,000 volunteer firefighters in our country are saving taxpayers $47 billion a year, which is an enormous number. And given the obvious need that two-thirds of our fire departments in the United States are volunteer, almost every local volunteer fire departments are struggling to meet staffing needs, which means... When you call 911 because you have a fire or a wreck or a need, more than likely, you're two-thirds of the time a volunteer is going to show up. And if that person didn't give in their time, you're going to burn or die. We have something called mutual aid departments or mutual aid agreements, rather, and that helps all of us. What is that? So, so we'll have within a single department or municipality, we might have two companies such as with my department, um, and we respond automatically to the same calls for the most part. Uh, they don't come to our location for cardiac arrest, for example. We do that on our own with uh, our EMS partners. Um, and then mutual aid are with other municipalities. And we'll send – so there are things called run cards. It's, it's all in the dispatch uh, that will be assigned to go to commercial fires – with a supply engine, hook up to a hydrant and supply water to the attack engine in one municipality. In another one, we're providing our rescue truck for those issues, automobile accidents, people trapped in an elevator, things like that. So we we spread out 
based on anticipated manpower and available apparatus, who's going where. In all of those agreements, for anything that gets dispatched or upgraded to a working fire, we have a group called the RIT team, it's a rapid intervention team, and that's an assigned department that has dedicated members trained to come and they will stand by on scene prepared with all the potential material they need, a Stokes basket to pull somebody out with, uh, a chainsaw, the various tools, axes, halligans, all of that, spare air cylinders and the like. And their job is to go in and rescue a firefighter who might call in for a mayday. So somebody who's trapped, they're going to go in and get. That way they're fresh, they're, they have nothing else distracting them. That's their sole purpose. Um, so we have that as well. Okay. So how's it work? You, you're a you're a teacher, right? And so you teach, I guess, seven to four, whatever, pick the time, whatever your hours are. Mm-hmm. You're lesson planning at home, having a glass of wine. And somebody calls you up and says, "Hey, we got a fire. Let's roll." How's it? How's it work? You got a beeper? What? What? What happens? How? How did? So I'm envisioning a volunteer fire department with a house and a truck or two and all the equipment and one person there or nobody there and a, a call comes. Well, the volunteer fire people aren't just sitting at the house all the time, are they? No. Well, and again, it's going to differ from state to state, county to county, municipality, well, how's and it work so with on you? and so forth. So for us, um, we will have one to two nights a week where we have dedicated staffing. It's called a duty engine. So we'll have four people who are qualified interior firefighters who will respond to within our fire district to their calls, but it's like between 6 and 10 p.m. Well, most people are available to run on these calls between 6 and 10 p.m. Yeah, it's 2 a.m. that's the problem. Well, no, 2 a.m. you better get up and go. It's the it's the 8 a.m. It's oh. the 3 p.m. Everybody's most part, unless you've got some shift working. workers. Yeah, they're working. Ah, that's if you have a firehouse where you have people that do shift work, that's terrific. Or people who are uh, you know, independently uh, employed, that's terrific. Um, but for our firehouse, we don't have that luxury. If there's somebody's retired, that's awesome. We just lost our daytime driver because he moved out of state. Uh, and we're, we're hoping that somebody else is able to fill that. But um, no, I mean, sometimes you're not sending anybody, but the cards in the county CAD system are set up so that if somebody's not responding, they'll add another company onto the call. Um, so sometimes it can be kind of a patchwork of agencies and one, one engine might only have two people on it, another might have six, and everybody ends up working together. So on a fire, on an actual fire, which we don't get a lot of, we're in a, a, a middle class residential area, my, our local in particular, um, we have a nursing home uh, and we have a couple little single story storefronts, but really it's, it's largely residential and it's middle class. So things aren't going alight very often. Um, but in the event that we have one and we had one this, this month, it happened at noon on a work day, actually Ugh. on Friday, on a Friday. So the only reason we had as many people show up from our mutual aid companies as we did is because middle schoolers were doing acts of service at a number of different volunteer firehouses and folks who were able to make themselves available from their jobs 
to go and work with these middle schoolers and teach them about the fire service happened to be in their firehouses that day. Wow. I was at my firehouse. Nobody else in my company was available. And the tones drop and I've got a pack of middle schoolers and one of their teachers, they're waiting for their bus. And all I have is one of my cadets who I can't take to a fire with me. I have to wait for them to leave, push the trucks back in from the apron into the into the bay. And then I have to respond in my local as the only person from my fire company. It, it was just about availability. But we've got we had a really robust response from our mutual aid partners and they did an excellent job. Um, it's a little humbling, though. You don't want to go alone and but somebody has to show up, right? So we show up. We show up. We do what we can. So what was your first fire like? A volunteer firefighter, a school teacher, been all over the world, your first fire. You had to have been nervous. So trying to think of, I mean, I haven't had a lot of fires. We don't get a lot of fires. Um Okay. What was your first call to a wreck where you had to get somebody out of it and it's all mangled and stuff? Where you, was your was your throat? Was, my stomach would be in my throat. So I'll, I'll I'll only share a little bit about this call. So I'll say that's that's the first dramatic one that I went on. It was a call for a single vehicle accident, and it was about four o'clock in the morning, and three of us showed up, and that was something that that bothered me for a while. That only three of us came, like everybody else slept. Two guys come came from the other company, just people weren't available or had their pagers off or whatever, or, or they're working because they're night shift. So they're their job. I can't hold that against anybody. Uh, just like I wouldn't want that held against me if I'm not coming. You know, we come when we can. And, and honestly, the, the person was deceased and there wasn't a lot to do for him as far as like something that is time sensitive. Um, but the most difficult part of that was the aftermath because you go into it knowing that these are the things that you're going to have to manage and deal with. The strangest thing that happened on that call was somebody came from the um, coroner's office and it was one of my high school friends. So that's our reunion. I haven't seen her since 1987. And she looks at me and I look at her. I'm like, Holy, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? Um, and now we have to do this work together to get this person into her van. Um, the strangest thing was then I went home and I showered and I went to work and I had to teach and I'm walking around all day and I've done this on other calls since and things that have been, that have hit closer to home because they've been people I know walking around all day, trying to deal with the the daily life of high school life and the silliness of, well, so-and-so was sitting in my seat or I don't do my homework. And you've got this thing on your shoulder kind of following you around like, gosh, a handful of hours ago, I was doing that. And now I have to manage this. It's it's a tough transition sometimes. It's got to be. Are you a volunteer of firefighters? Does the training um, address that? Our county, and, and there are others just like it, uh, has a really strong SISM program. So it's a critical incident stress management group. And it's made up of people who are trained specifically for that, but are all active in fire police and EMS. So these are people that also donate their time when they're not doing something else. And that former chief who helped me get my son into the firehouse, he helps lead that for our county. And in the event that there is a, a difficult call, then the officer that is on that call will contact 
or have Fireboard, which is our dispatch, contact the SISM team so that they can send a member out. And I've done that. I did that. I We had a call where we had to go in and look for somebody that hadn't been seen, found in a while. So we found him. And, uh, and, and the conditions in the house were pretty grim. Pretty grim. And I had all young guys with me. They were all 19-year-old guys, three, three of them. And I said, everybody's going to go home and shower, and then you're going to come back. I'm going to order pizza, but you're coming back to the station. So just come home. You're going to be back in, in 30 minutes. And I called SISM. Not because any of them were struggling with it at the time, but I did it as a preventative measure because I wanted to normalize talking about calls first. And the the car accident that I told you about, I didn't talk to anybody about that afterwards. And it came out sideways on somebody else a few weeks later. You know, I got up and stormed out of the room because someone's talking about not enough people showing up for a pancake breakfast to help, you know, a fundraiser, which is necessary in a lot of firehouses. And I thought, oh, you're telling me I have to come to a pancake breakfast. Where are you at 3 a.m. on this road, you know? So, and it, that wasn't fair to that person. They didn't deserve that. But the point is, this work doesn't come without its stressors and trauma. Absolutely. Why do you do it? I don't know. That love of adventure. I mean, I guess I know it. I Once you're in... And I, I think this is like the, the magic of it. It's like you're outside the firehouse, you're outside the fire service, or it, you're a one, two, well, maybe not one degree away, but maybe two, three degrees away. You understand it as a concept. You understand that firefighters, volunteer firefighters go to some of these horrible incidents, fires and, and, and car wrecks and um, cardiac arrests in the home and things like that. Um, so you understand that academically um but it's then you walk in and you do it and you take care of it and you realize you are taking care of people in your own community and there's something that's really cool about that you know there's like a level of trust and i think well i know across the board firefighters have a tremendous they enjoy a tremendous level of trust from the public um and it's really it hurts me it angers me actually i guess it hurts me too when people abuse that, when there are firefighters who abuse it, who steal from their stations, who take advantage of people within their fire companies, their fire departments. Um, you know, a firehouse should be a safe place where everybody's equal, and sometimes that doesn't happen. Um, and that bothers me because I think we have so much trust. There's so much faith in us. They trust us in our homes. They trust us with their loved ones. Um, but there's a reward that comes from that, which is, is kind of cool. So I guess it's selfish in a way. It makes you feel good about yourself, you know, like you're doing something of value even though you don't get paid for it. You get paid in other ways. You get paid in the friendships you have. You know, the relationship I have with my kids who both got involved in it, nobody understands that. You know, um, I've been invited to go out tonight with Memphis Fire. And that's cool. Like, really? Yeah, absolutely. I wrote an email. I said, hey, I'm in town. This is what I do. And if you have a firehouse that's agreeable to it, I'd love to, to ride along. So I got a call this afternoon. You're going to ride along with a Memphis fire truck tonight? Yeah. <laughs> Why not? Why not? And that concludes part one of my conversation with Ellen Yarbrough. And you will not want to miss part two that's now available to listen to. As we dive into how she accidentally became this extraordinary recruiter of firefighters across America. Together, guys, we can change the country. It starts with you. I'll see you in part two.
Become a part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry with an education from Trinity School of Natural Health. Trinity graduates can empower their communities through natural health principles and techniques, whether they go into practice to guide others toward their wellness goals or open a store to sell their favorite health products. Trinity grads are equipped to change lives. With 19 online programs and flexibility to fit your busy schedule, including the popular Certified Natural Health Professional, you can get the training that helps you turn your passion into a career. And here's the best part. You can earn the certification in less than a year. From herbology to naturopathy and health coaching, Trinity allows you to make a meaningful difference by helping others live healthier, happier lives. Don't wait any longer to pursue your passion for natural health. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.